As we stand, let's pray. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come. Open our minds to your word. Open our eyes that we may see Jesus. And open our hearts to respond to you in love and service. Amen. Oh, it's the organ. Okay. (laughs) Today is Palm Sunday, when we traditionally remember Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, with the people shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. The people acclaim him as King, waving branches and throwing their cloaks down to make a royal pathway for him. And somewhat surprisingly, Jesus seems to accept the people's praises. Yet he comes riding on a colt, the foal of an ass. Not on a horse. Is that what a king does? I find that there are mixed messages here. Was Jesus a king or a servant? Was he really king, God incarnate, king of kings, or just a humble man God used as his servant? What was Jesus' attitude? Today, if we say somebody has attitude, it seems to be a bad thing. Yet the way someone behaves and interacts with others, particularly in adverse circumstances, can tell us a great deal about them. So how did Jesus behave in the extreme circumstances that followed his arrival in Jerusalem? As a king or as a servant? Let's look carefully at Jesus' attitude as he was arrested, interrogated, and crucified. How did he respond Let's note when he spoke and when he remained silent. And notice when he did speak, who it was he spoke to and what it was that he said. And let's see if we can learn anything from these observations. It is important that we take note of these things because St. Paul said that if we call ourselves Christians... If we are united with Christ, our attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. So if you will turn with me to Luke chapter 23 on page 1059 of the Church Bibles, we will have a look at this passage. The chapter begins in the middle of the narrative. So what's been happening? The previous chapter tells how Jesus had been betrayed by Judas, seized by the chief priests and temple guards, and mocked by them. Early that morning, the high priests and the legal experts, the Sanhedrin, had met together and putting Jesus in front of them, asked him directly if he was the Son of God. To which he replies, You are right in saying 
I am. This, they believe, clinches their evidence against him. He has now committed the sin of blasphemy, which in their law is punished by stoning to death, and they march him off to Pilate, the Roman governor. So, in chapter 23, in front of Pilate, the Sanhedrin accused Jesus of three things. Subverting the nation, opposing payment of taxes to Caesar, both these are quite untrue charges, and thirdly, they say, he claims to be Christ a king. And this is what the the charge Pilate immediately picks up. What? You? The king of the Jews? What a ridiculous thought. Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replies. Jesus never wanted to be known as a king. You, you will remember from John 6.15, whenever the people intended to make him a king, he withdraws by himself and goes to a lonely place up a mountain. We also know that he spoke of his kingdom not being of this world. But now here, in response to Pilate's direct question, he says, yes, you're right, I am a king. Why does he answer Pilate's question and affirm his kingship at this point? He said it because it was and is the truth. Jesus is king of kings, not in any political sense, but as the son of God, he was spiritually king over all who honoured the truth. St. John adds at this point, Jesus' further words here in front of Pilate. You are right in saying, I am a king. For this reason I was born, and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. That's John 18, 37. Amidst the intrigue and false accusation, Jesus stands up for and speaks the truth. Pilate finds Jesus not guilty, and if justice had been done, Jesus would have been would have been acquitted and released. But with the insistence of the chief priests that Jesus is a troublemaker, he hesitates. However, discovering that he is a Galilean, in verse 6, Pilate spies a way out of this potentially volatile situation and passes Jesus on to King Herod Antipas an inquisitive yet restless man who wants to be entertained by Jesus, even hoping he'd see him perform a miracle. It's significant to note that while Jesus had replied to Pilate's direct question, he doesn't say one word in response to Herod's many questions. Why do you think that was? Imagine the scene. Herod plying Jesus with questions, the chief priests and the teachers of the law getting more and more het up as they vehemently accuse Jesus. 
and Jesus calmly standing his ground, saying nothing. While they turned to ridicule and mockery, maybe hoping to go Jesus into a response, Jesus still says nothing. They dress him in an elegant robe, as if he were an earthly king, and send him back to Pilate. What serenity Jesus showed. What grace. He didn't answer back. He didn't stand on his rights. He didn't hurl abuse at his accusers. He kept silent. In this way, Jesus fulfilled Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah 52. My servant will act wisely. I wonder what you or I might have done in that situation. Jesus, the king, was wise and humble, just like a servant. St. Paul says we should have the same attitude as Christ Jesus. He didn't answer back when mocked and ridiculed. He didn't stand on his rights when he was more than entitled to do so. And he didn't curse and swear at his accusers when, humanly speaking, he probably felt like it. We read next in verse 13 how Pilate calls the Sanhedrin and the people together for a public announcement. Both he and King Herod agree on one thing. Jesus had done nothing worthy of death. Again, Pilate should have released Jesus. But with the crowd screaming, crucify him, crucify him, over and over again, he surrenders to the will of the people and allows Jesus to be led out to be crucified. This was the most shocking travesty of justice ever recorded. As Isaiah had foretold in Isaiah 53:7, he was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he did not open his mouth. Jesus said not a word. I wonder why not. Perhaps we need to recall Jesus' words earlier when he wrestled in prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, Father, not my will, but yours be done. I think Jesus' attitude has much to teach us here. His prime focus was on his Father God and his Father's will. Jesus loved to do God's will, even when it meant giving himself up to death for us. Jesus had said of himself, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. His first priority was always to obey the will of the Father. And he showed his love and obedience to God even in his time of trial. 
<clears throat> St. Paul says, we should have the same attitude as Christ Jesus. So who comes first in our decision-making and in our lives? <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> Do we forget to talk to God when we have big decisions to make? If we're honest, how often do we pray in effect, may my will be done rather than, Lord, your will be done? Or at those difficult times, perhaps when you find yourself ridiculed for your faith, do you follow Jesus' example and wisely stay silent? In the Wednesday early morning prayer meeting this week, Sandra Isaacs reminded us of a phrase from Galatians 2.20. But Christ lives in me. In this verse, St. Paul commends us to live for God, saying, I have been crucified with Christ, so I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And it's in and through Christ's power in us that we can do all things even to stand firm in time of trial. And how we need to pray for our Christian brothers and sisters, particularly in the Middle East, as they stand firm in time of trial. To return to our narrative and to our question, was Jesus a king or a servant? Jesus had affirmed that he was a king but his kingdom was a spiritual kingdom, one of truth. But he rode on a colt like a servant. He showed his wisdom by keeping silent when falsely accused, like a servant. And he put aside his own human desires in order to fulfill his master's will, like a really trustworthy and committed servant. Then, as he's led out to be crucified, we see how he's still fulfilling his God-given mission to seek and to save those who are lost. He has a servant heart, a heart to serve God. Simon of Cyrene, verse 26, is commandeered to carry the cross of Jesus. And a large crowd follow him, including women who are weeping and wailing on his behalf. They are not his followers, the ladies that have been helping him through his ministry, but daughters of Jerusalem, in other words, unbelievers. Jesus turns to them, and using a well-known proverb of the day, he tells them that unless they repent, they and their children would face judgment and eternal death. He knew that whatever happened to him in the next few hours, his future with God was secure, while theirs was not. Even when he was probably bleeding from having been scourged, he was exhausted, and he was facing certain death, Jesus still longed that all would repent and be saved. What gracious, loving compassion he showed. There was no hint of self-pity here, only a love that reached out to others. 
Doesn't that make you want to long to be more like Jesus? St. Paul said, we should have the same attitude as Christ Jesus. Why? So that others may come to know the truth and come into that personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. So even at the point of exhaustion, Jesus reaches out with incredible love so that these women and the men who looked on and heard too would be saved too. And as if that wasn't enough, when they come to crucify Jesus, along with the two criminals, Jesus prays that incredible prayer in verse 34. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Jesus prays forgiveness for all those who did not who all those who, who did him down and hurt him, all those who'd falsely accused him, for all those who'd knowingly condoned a travesty of justice to take place, and for all who had sneered and mocked and ridiculed him and nailed him to a cross. And he asked that God would forgive them for their ignorance and repentance. What amazing, amazing grace. I've been talking through issues of forgiveness with a church member this Lent. And I'd always thought... Forgiveness could only follow repentance. But now, through this attitude of Jesus, I see that he loves us so much, whoever we are, whatever we've done, that he graciously offers us his forgiveness even before we turn to him in repentance. In other words, he's created a climate of forgiveness which allows us to turn towards his love in repentance and as we do so then to receive his forgiveness. For an example of this, look at the response of the two criminals who were crucified either side of Jesus, verse 39. They will have heard that remarkable prayer of Jesus to God. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. And while one of the criminals flings a retort at Jesus and turns away from him, the other, sensing Jesus' climate of forgiveness, turns to Jesus, repents, and immediately receives forgiveness and the promise of eternal life. St. Paul said, we should have the same attitude as Christ Jesus. I ask myself, as I ask you, does the love of Jesus flow through us in such a way that we create a climate of forgiveness so others can turn to Jesus in repentance and receive his forgiveness and hope of eternal life? And lastly, 
note the final words of Jesus recorded by Luke, which come from the cross. Verse 46. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. With these words from Psalm 31, Jesus, the sinless Son of God, willingly and voluntarily lays down his life as a sacrifice for our sins. He had finished the work God had given him to do. His mission was accomplished. So, in conclusion, was Jesus a king or a servant? A king, yes. Or a servant, yes. He was both. By his own admission, we know that he is and was a king. He was a king of God's kingdom, whom God has exalted to the highest place. He was rejected by men. But God has given him the name that is above every name, above all names. King of kings and Lord of lords, so that all in heaven and earth will bow to his honor and bring glory to God the Father. He is worthy of our praise and worship. Yet when Jesus became a man, he put his kingship rights on hold. He laid aside his glory and took on the essential nature of a servant. He was humble. He was obedient to his Father's will. He showed us the Father's love through his death on the cross. And he committed his life and spirit to God. St. Paul says, if we are united with Christ, our attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus. Friends, we are called to live humble lives, characterized by obedience to God and love for others. So like Jesus, we too might live to the glory and praise of God the Father. As we enter Holy Week, let's consider Jesus and all that he has done for us. And may we be given grace to grow more like him. Let us pray. Father, hear the prayer we offer, not for ease that prayer shall be, but for strength that we may ever live our lives courageously. Be our strength in hours of weakness, in our wanderings be our guide, through endeavor, failure, danger. Jesus, be there at our side. Amen.